from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Author Kate Clifford Larson has written three biographies starting with Bound for the Promised Land, Harriet Tubman, Portrait of an American Hero, The Assassin's Accomplice, Mary Surratt and the Plot to Kill Abraham Lincoln, and most recently, Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter. She holds an MBA from Northwestern and a PhD from the University of New Hampshire. Kate Clifford Larson will be a featured guest at the Thurber House on Wednesday, October 5th. More information is available at crafttheshow.com. Welcome to Craft, Kate Clifford Larson. Hello, Doug. Thank you for having me. I uh, was struck reading the book about the story of Rosemary Kennedy that uh, her pregnancy is one of the most um, sort of disturbing ones that I can recall reading because of the medical treatment that Rose Kennedy got. I was wondering if you could walk our listeners through maybe that aspect of Rosemary's life, the very beginning. Um, Well, she was born in September of 1918, and um, the Spanish influenza was sweeping across the globe for the second time, and millions of people had died already, and Boston was being hit again, um, and thousands of people were dying, and thousands more were very sick. So when Rose went into labor in her home in Brookline, she... um, she sent for the doctor, but he was delayed at the hospital because of all these patients who were sick with the flu. Uh, Rose had brought in an obstetrical nurse to help her, um, and the nurse had been trained how to deliver a baby, but she also had been trained to wait as long as possible for the doctor to arrive before... um, she did anything. Mm -hmm. So Rose was um, in the throes of labor, and um, she had already had two children, uh, two boys, Joe Jr. and Jack. So this third labor was coming on fast and furiously, and Rose, you know, wanted to push little baby Rosemary out, but the nurse wouldn't let her, and tried to convince Rose to do all sorts of things to not push the baby out. And um, when Rose would not comply, naturally, because she wanted to deliver this baby, the nurse held baby Rosemary back in the birth canal for two hours until the doctor could arrive to deliver the baby himself. Was that something that um, you noticed was common at the time? I mean, it must have been uh, the accepted procedure, or was it not? Because of the, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they didn't really know about the risk of the loss of oxygen to the baby. That's true. They did not understand that connection with uh, delaying the birth and possible uh, birth defects. Um, I don't know how common it was, but it was not uncommon, nor was it frowned upon. And in fact, um, I think it occurred right through the 50s and 60s in some hospital settings and uh, births. Yeah, until they figured out in the late 50s and 60s that there was a definite connection. Um, it, uh, it it sort of sets up for me um, in, in looking at this book just so many things that the medical community seemed to have not done a particularly good job with with uh, Rosemary Kennedy and um, I think there's always this tendency when reading history to think oh we're so much more advanced than they were at the time um, do you see modern analogs maybe to the ways that the medical treatments created problems for Rosemary Kennedy is there was you're reading through this from the historical viewpoint do you see things that are happening now that you go wow we'll probably wonder about that in the future 
um, yes, you know, and of course we read in the news all the time med- medical mistakes that have happened or drugs that have been released, FDA approved, and it turns out that they, um, you know, kill people and or maim them or injure them in some other way. So um, I think, you know, science is still finding its way. The medical establishment um, is still finding its way in certain areas. So um, we ha- the, the good thing is, however, we have a lot more patient protections than we had in the past. Um, and there are research protocols and there are guidelines that um, people, uh, doctors in the medical establishment have to follow. And um, so we're in a better place, but certainly things still happen that we'll look back and go, wow, how could we have let that happen? It, for whatever reason, reminds me of a scene in a Star Trek movie where they go back in time and the doctor just keeps complaining about the, you know, the 1980s or so being the dark ages and stuff <laughs> like that. And it was funny because I was looking at, you know, this is quite a long time ago, but um, still the, the huge difference uh, of the medical treatment, um, especially for Rosemary culminating in um, the later lobotomy that she was given. Um, And I'm curious, as you were researching that, what was your feeling toward the kind of treatment that Joe Joe Sr. had apparently insisted that she be given? And I'm assuming that he was going under, you know, good intentions, but was sort of misled. Um. Well, I question the good intentions part because when I investigated the early years of lobotomy research that was being conducted around the world, but particularly here in the United States, and granted it was at a time when patients were not protected, and as I mentioned before, there were no research protocols. However, when Joe was investigating the procedure, there were cautionary voices out there, including the American Medical Association, the summer of 1941, just a couple of months before Rosemary had the lobotomy. The AMA was um, warning against the, the procedure and saying um, it was too experimental, that this should not be happening to live patients, that there was so much that wasn't known about the brain and the procedure and that it shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm. So that's why I find it a little shocking that Joe went ahead and did that. You know, the two doctors were a bit of showmen and they advocated for their procedure. They lied about the success of the procedure. They were allowed to lie about it. Um, but Joe was a smart man, and he investigated everything in his life, especially when it came to his children. And um, he would have known that the American Medical Association was not advising that this surgery was something that people should be doing. And yet he went ahead and did it. And in fact, the Catholic Church as well had come out and said that they would not allow the procedure to be performed in their hospitals. So he was sort of going against um, some big guns in the medical field at the time by deciding to have her lobotomized. Why do you think he went against them? I think he was um, at a stage where he was desperate. Both he and Rose were desperate to find something that would give them, I think, uh, some sort of relief from the daily worries they had about Rosemary. And um, by the time she was lobotomized, I believe she was really sort of spiraling out of control. 
Um, I think her mental health had deteriorated dramatically, and they were worried. There were few options. There, there, you know, at the time, there there were no pharmaceuticals like we have today for people to help with mental health issues. They didn't have that, and they were worried about a scandal. And I think these doctors just convinced them that this would work and that Rosemary would be calm and docile and then she would be easier to take care of and she would be happy because I don't think she was very happy and that troubled them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the it seemed to me that there was an interesting parallel between the treatment that Rosemary received and um, when Rose was younger, she was disallowed to go to a college which she was very much, I think, looking forward to by her father right. um, because um, it wasn't a Catholic university, which I don't really, I think you say didn't really exist at the time for Rose to have gone to anyway. And um, so it would have been a Protestant university. And it was something that you mentioned Rose was upset with for the rest of her life. So I'm curious about how you see these sorts of parallels playing out in this family, whether it was just something typical for the time or whether there was something that uh, the, of, of Catholicism taking a, a play here. Because they were not in favor of the lobotomy, there is a big difference there. Um, so I'm just curious about your take on how, how these both of these women were sort of treated by the systems around them. Um, well, in a larger context, women were very powerless um, right. in, you know, Rose's early womanhood, childhood and womanhood, certainly, and Rosemary as well. Um, Rose, of course, gained a lot of power in that marriage through um, whatever compromise she and Joe came up with. She helped raise those children. She was, you know, a very political type woman. And um, whatever her life turned out to be, it was a substitute for what she had wanted as a young woman going to college. And Rosemary is also sort of a victim of the time period where women were not allowed to have a say and make decisions and become independent human beings in their own right. Um, and unfortunately for Rosemary, because she was intellectually disabled and had these emerging uh, mental health issues, she really was powerless. No one really was going to listen to her, and she was bothersome to her parents, and it was easy to take care of that because no one was there to protect her. No one was there to protect her. When you're researching something like this, it seems to me a depressing topic. (laughs) Yeah. I was uh, a friend of mine read your book and said that it was uh, just so sad was her comment and I'm wondering as a researcher when you re- you spend so much time with this so many days so many weeks months how did that uh, affect you working through all of this um, story which does not have a good ending and um, seems to be just uh, a continual series of tragedies um, well, partly I became very mad, so that's useful. It's a useful tool to keep doing research and then writing, so I have right. to be honest about that. Um, the other part of it is, you know, I had to find a, um, a shiny light lining to this whole story because there is one, and that is that um, in spite of how people feel about the Kennedy family, those siblings were dramatically affected by what happened to their sister, not only because of the lobotomy and her treatment afterwards, but how she was treated by people in the public and people 
close to her as a child. They observed that. They felt it keenly. They were wounded by that. They missed her terribly when she was sent away after the lobotomy. And because of that, they became very powerful advocates and, um, you know, change agents for um, the treatment of people with disabilities. And through their great wealth and political power, they were able to, to funnel resources into research, community centers, and to change the way we in this country look at people with disabilities. And that's powerful. That's Rosemary's legacy. So for me, the ending is she has a tremendous legacy that we're all benefiting from. And I think that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are in the U.S. Uh, are familiar with the Kennedys and have formed some sort of opinion of them already. Uh, how were your perceptions of the family changed by your research? Uh, I'm thinking perhaps specifically about Joseph Kennedy Sr. in in this context, or Rose. Um, I, my emotions while I was working on this floated back and forth between um, disdain, anger, frustration, great sympathy, um, deep understanding, and then I would cycle back with frustration, anger, disgust, um, outrage. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I, and I think for many people who know anything about Rose and Joe Kennedy, um, people really do go through all the, that range of emotions because on the one hand, they were smart and they raised the, this amazing family of high achievers who did shape our nation in many different ways. On the other hand, there was something pretty, you know, uh, loathsome about the way they treated Rosemary on occasion, not all the time, and also just their attitude. And I, so I, it's hard to say how I come down now today, but I, I, I do have to stress that I sympathize with their position given the medical establishment at the time and what they were given as resources to help raise a child with disabilities. Um, however, they did live in a world where there were people just like them who had children with disabilities who did not treat their children that way. They did not lobotomize them. So the Kennedys made choices I thought were selfish for themselves and not for their daughter, Rosemary. Okay. Um, you've written about, as we mentioned before, Harriet Tubman and Mary Surratt in The Plot to Kill Lincoln, um, two separate books. And I'm curious, what what did you find the most affecting of the topics that you've written about? Does, does this resonate um, more deeply with you because of the treatment of Rosemary, or is it because it's the you know one that you've written most recently? Um, it sounds like it was a difficult thing to write the book, and uh, I'm wondering if it was as difficult to write the others. So the Harriet Tubman uh, book was very difficult. It took many, many years because it was part of my um, dissertation for my PhD. But the research um, into Harriet Tubman's life as an enslaved person and learning about the nature of slavery in the Chesapeake, her struggles um, with her family to stay together against incredible odds, um, how she just battled every single day of her life for freedom and equality really left a mark on me. That was incredibly difficult. And I still research her life every single day, and I still am... I just can't believe what an incredible human being she was and how she just faced obstacles that most of us will never in a million years face and she just kept 
moving forward and, and making sure that she could change the world. Uh, Mary Surratt, I, you know, that was, that was painful because I thought she was a, not a very nice woman and it was difficult to write about a woman who turned out to be quite loathsome in her own right. <laughs> so it's the, it's the history of the loathsome um, <laughs> to, to some extent. Kate Clifford Larson, thank you very much for talking to me today. And I really look forward to your visit to the Thurber House on Wednesday, October 5th. And uh, all the best with your next research into maybe some people who aren't quite so difficult uh, to research and to live with for many moments as you're researching them. Thank you, Doug. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>